This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez. And we welcome you to this edition of the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Eric Lopez here, uh, Jeff on vacation, but joining us, he doesn't believe in vacation. Mr. Andrew Glukoff joining us here. Coming up later, Bryson Turner will join us. we got a lot to cover here. We're going to talk UCF football, some new additions to the future schedule. What does that mean? Where is the state of UCF football? Where is the state of UCF athletic teams in general as they enter now less than 365 days away from being in the Big 12? Where are they? What do they need to improve on? What are the big questions? And, of course, the Big 12 on the horizon. That's all coming up. On this edition of the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast, you can follow us wherever you are on the podcast, wherever you listen to. Of course, on Twitter at UCF Banneret underscore SBN. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel at Black and Gold Banneret. We'll have exclusive content there as well. All right, Drew, let's start with you. Here is Mr. Andrew Glukoff joining us here. Wednesday morning was significant because it was the first time we heard from the new Big 12 commissioner, Drew. Uh, all eyes were there. It's Big 12 media days uh, beginning, going on. Uh, what was your thoughts there from the beginning there? From Because uh, I think that was the first time we've heard from the new commissioner since uh, he was appointed, the, the new commission. Well, you could tell he already has experience in how to use rhetoric, you know, to, to gab, to speak, but not actually say anything of any, any really importance, uh, which I think is actually a good thing. Now, you... You know, it shows that he's already kind of hitting the ground running. You know, and, and that's encouraging because here, basically what he said was that the Big 12 is open for business. They're fielding calls. There's a lot of interest. This is stuff we already knew that. And, and it's, it's, I don't want to say it's, it's not you know, important, but the fact they're acknowledging it is important. Uh, that they're going to take their time. They're, they're, they're going to field those calls. They're going to they're take things seriously. Big 12 is, is, is acting out of position of strength, which if you look at a year ago would be unheard of, you know, Oklahoma and Texas announced they're leaving. Everyone's looking to jump ship. And now a year later, the big 12 is in a position of strength. I mean, this is an amazing turnaround, you know, comeback of the year right there. You know, maybe they should get a bandy for that. You know, UCF helped make them have the comeback of the year, but uh, I, I think it's very, there was a couple of nuggets in there that was very important. One thing that, that uh, Brett said was about uh, linear media, linear television being a vital part of going forward. So one of the things that we, we've speculated on, and you know, we, we talk offline about all sorts of stuff, is where streaming falls into the, the media package going forward. Because as we know, streaming is the future eventually you know the cord cutting continues uh, ESPN's even talked about making uh, an a la carte set up for the primary ESPN channels so you know online streaming is the future we, we we know it we acknowledge it and if you disagree I'm sorry however he made it very clear that the linear part is still the primary piece and that's you know your cable your satellite you know where ESPN ESPN2 and you come come into play ABC, CBS, Fox, all those guys. So as we go forward towards that new media deal, you know, 
tier one is going to be a linear channel. Tier, tier two is going to be a linear you know, network of some sort. And then obviously tier three is going to be the catch-all. That's going to be a, probably a streaming-based service a la an ESPN plus, or maybe even like, uh, you know, like a Paramount plus, you know, as they, you know, find uh, a conference to kind of latch onto, they have the NFL, but you know, nothing really fleshed out. So I think he, the fact that he said linear is primary gives us uh, an expectation of what we're going to see in 2025, as far as our ability to, to see, you know, programs in action. Yeah, no doubt. I think that's a, the that's part of the media deal. I mean, we're going to see with the Big Ten here shortly, and then Peg Twelve. I mean, we're going to see some big deals. I think, and linear still matters. Live linear content is still pretty important. Now, another thing that Brett Yormark, the commissioner of the Big Twelve, said that he was asked about about possibly losing members. He said, "Quote: We are very unified group." It was one of the things that drew me to the job, the alignment that the board and the AD community all have for going forward. Drew, your reaction to that? You buy that, that this Big 12 right now is unified uh, as a league and was not at risk to be poached away from, say, the Pac-12 or whatever. I do, but not for the reasons people think. Uh, yeah, and I've said this before online, You know, this is the benefit of all being mid-tier schools that the pack of the big 10 and the sec didn't want, you know, when, when the first two schools, you know, Texas and Oklahoma said they were leaving, everyone tried to jump ship and the PAC 12 opted not to expand the big 12 uh, the big 10 didn't take a Kansas or an Iowa state, which would fit their academic profile. Uh, they didn't take them. So it, it proved nobody wanted them. So that actually allowed them to unify because it's like, well, we're stuck with each other. Let's make the best of it. And they brought in four schools who wanted to be there and are willing to, to buy into that unity because the Big Ten and the SEC aren't knocking on their doors either. So you have a bunch of, of mid-tier schools. You know, you look at the, the power the power schools, there, there's definitely tiers in there. You know, you could be a member of the SEC and not be a tier one school. You know, you're, you can be, you know, Vanderbilt is not a top tier program. Arkansas is not a top tier. You know, you're not going to have, if they weren't a member, you're not going to have the door knocked down for them to become a member, you know? So that allows them to kind of work from that position of strength. Like I said before, and I think his statement's very true. They are unified because nothing's changed. They're still mid tier schools. Those two big conferences still aren't knocking on their door. And with, you know, with the PAC 10 slash 12, whatever they're going to call themselves in a couple of years, looking to add, you know, potentially add members. What's the incentive? of jumping from something that is stable because because the big 12 is stable now that's the scary part it's actually a stable conference with these four coming in to go to the pac 12 which is not stable that's anything but stable right now it's very volatile they're like the big 12 was last year top two programs pulled everyone's looking to potentially jump ship and and there's no you know people love oregon oregon from a financial standpoint does not move the needle as much as people think, you know, they're like the Oklahoma state right, you know, caliber they, of the big 12. Right. Cause if they did, which is what I pointed out in previous pocket, if they did, they'd be in the big 10 by now. And it's true. It's true. You know, the only way at this point that, that things are going to change, you know, cause obviously once you start getting past 16, you know, that, that number of dollars gets diluted. It's going to be really hard to continue that level of, of money payout per program. Cause you're asking a lot. 
from the from you know your television partners at that point or another hundred million dollars a year plus i mean that's a lot to pay for right oregon uh you know notre dame i i get it notre dame that they can command that and they say hey you you take stanford with us okay that'd be enough uh but i don't see oregon you know being the the team that are you buying john wilmer who was the first to report the usc ucla departure and then we're going to move on to ucf uh, football items that we have to address but he reported uh tweeted out that he's hearing barring a panic move a panic attack that the pac 12 10 schools are going to remain intact at least through this season as far as no movement imminent uh, are you buying that? Do you think that we'll just go through most of the season before we hear of the next move, whatever that is, by anybody? I'm selling. And the reason why is the Pac-12 has, has gotten the ability to go forward with their television negotiations, and it's not an attractive product. Uh, there's an East Coast bias. Viewership is lower on the West Coast. That's just the way it is. East, East Coast people go to sleep. You get Pac-12 at night, which is great to watch for us who are awake at night and never sleep. But for normal people who actually do sleep at night, that they're not watching. So there's an East Coast bias there that hurts the West Coast schools as far as value. Uh, that's one one reason why USC and UCLA jumped. They knew that they you know the the conference packages were pretty self-explanatory. By just looking at the sheer dollars, that yeah, the east side is going to make way more than the west side. So you know they're going out to bid. They're 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 starting their their thirty day exclusive window. Uh, I don't expect them to get an attractive enough offer to really keep them all in there. And even though the Big 12s you know hasn't started their negotiating window yet, they've still got a little bit of time. Uh, you know, in the, the networks can say, hey, you know, this is kind of how we feel. They can give ballparks, you know, and they, they, you know, they all talk. So I think after that 30-day window is over and the Pac-12 doesn't get what they want, because I don't think they're going to, you're going to see the Arizona schools and maybe Colorado start looking, hey, you know, maybe the grass is greener on the other side to a conference that is more stable has a better chance of viewership because you have teams in three time zones. Uh, there's value in that, and I think it's going to come back and help the conference as far as payout. You think so? You think might, we might know before the end of the season? Uh, at least before the end of the school year. Okay. Uh, okay. You know, as we know, June 30th was the cutoff in the Pac-12. Right. That's why USC and UCLA made sure that they got their their announcement done before. July 1st, because otherwise they would have had to wait till 2025 without paying some serious uh, penalties. So they got the normal buyout at this point. I so agree no matter with you for what, the record. I agree with you. I think that's, and no I, don't know, what. I, I don't know if John Wilmer meant the the calendar year or he meant the football season. And so I'll give him some wiggle room. I, I'm going to give him the school year, but uh, I'm selling that, that they're right. going to be staying together long-term. I, I don't think they right. make it past this, this, you know, this into this new contract. I agree. All right. Well, uh, we'll put realignment to uh, on the side for now because, you know, we can only talk so much about it over and over. I want to get into a couple of news football items here, uh, Drew. They've uh, two games have been added to their future schedule. Uh, and I want you to break them down. We uh, we caught when Sam Houston, of all places, announced they're playing UCF at UCF. Uh, that was announced on Wednesday. We're recording this on Wednesday late afternoon. Uh, and this was after football schedule announced that New Hampshire is going to be playing UCF in the future. What year is that? Do you have the dates, uh, Drew, for the – I uh, do. Um, you know, break both, it down for us. 
Uh, both games will be in 2024. So New Hampshire is going to be the season opener on August 31st. And Sam Houston, and, and here's the kicker, they're going to be on September 7th, which means the Liberty game is out. Because as we know, Big 12 is going to have nine conference games. There's only room for three out of conference. Now you got New Hampshire and Sam Houston at home. You have Florida away. Liberty is no longer on the 2024 schedule. Uh, they haven't announced what's going to happen to that game. But this makes a lot of sense. Liberty going from an independent to a conference member, they have to drop a lot of games and maybe push some games back. And with UCF's schedule, after 2025, having two or three slots available every year has is very accommodating for pushing the game back. If I was UCF, I would want the game pushed back. And I was talking to some Liberty fans online, and we were kind of going with the same idea of, uh, you don't want to cancel it if you don't have to, because uh, you know they 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 want to play. You know their, their fans want to play UCF. They're, they're, you know, it's a big game for them. It's a big game for them. It's good for 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 UCF. You know you get you get that that one and done home game, which you're going to see more of. You know, Sam Houston, um, same conference now. They're going to be a new conference USA member. That's an FBS game at that point. Uh, you know, same as Liberty. Uh, there, there's value in those and you're going to see more of those buy games because UCF is going to have the cash to do it. And it, you know, you make a few million dollars per home game. Yeah. You know, you, okay. Pay a million dollars. You know, Liberty was supposed to make a million dollars to play at UCF. UCF's going to make, you know, two to three net on it. And you know, it, the, the numbers just speak for themselves, but it's also good for the fans. It's a fan. It's a tourist destination. You can make a vacation out of it. Uh, you know, that's what uh, UCF's marketing to other teams of, hey, come play in Orlando. You can also do this with your fans, you know, have them come to the parks and everything, you know, SeaWorld, Disney, Universal, you name it, you know, making an event and, you know, play the football game as well. You know, your fans will love it. And I, I think that's going to help. And I think that may be one reason why the Liberty game will stay on the schedule, but push back a number of years. Well, I remember Liberty's adjusting to go to being CUSA, so they got to adjust their schedules too. Oh yeah, so they got like, a whole bunch of games uh, they got to drop and move. I mean, they have a full schedule, yeah, that, you know, lot a lot of series and stuff. And and you know, I could see them keeping you know in twenty twenty four like Coastal Carolina, UMass, and UConn. While it doesn't sound great, those are all home and homes. And for them, there's value in the home and homes. You don't want to, you know, you don't want to buy out if you don't have to, and. You know, while Liberty does have a lot of dollars in their coffers, uh, you want to try to kick the can as far down the road as possible because you don't want to have to pay these these out you know these buyouts. If you you know, it's not it's not good for the program. And if you remember, Eric, you and I were were UCF students when you know they converted from independent at the end of two thousand one into a MAC member two thousand two, and they had to drop all sorts of games. Now it's worse now than it was back then, as far as the number of games. But it's the same concept. They had to kick some down the road. They had to buy out of, of some others, but you try to push as many down, down the road as possible because you don't want to have to pay that buyout. And, you know, you schedule the games for a reason. You look at the UCF schedule moving forward. Now, 2023 uh, will be the first year UCF's in the Big 12. It, that'll be the nine games that will kick in. UCF, as of now, is scheduled to play at Boise State September 9th. At Boise, and they're scheduled to host Kent State on September 2nd. We expect that third game to be a home game uh, in 23, correct? If there have been, I don't, you know, 24, you got New Hampshire and Sam Houston, as Drew just brought up, at Florida. 
2025, you've got FAU scheduled on September 13th, North Carolina scheduled on September 20th, and then a game at Maryland on August 30th. I think this is the recipe, don't you, Drew, in the new Big 12 for UCF? Two home games, maybe three home games. Now, it's worth pointing out, in 2023, uh, Terry Mahodger, you know, told the media that UCF will have four home conference games, five road conference games. So as of now, in 2023, UCF will have six road games and likely six home games. Uh, your thoughts on this? Because you've been outspoken about the future scheduling and how Danny White didn't do a very good job. I think Terry Mahodger and others would probably agree with you. I know some fans didn't. But where do you see now UCF as far as how do you see this future schedule working out with now the knowledge of the Big 12 going on a nine-game schedule? Well, you're always going to try to schedule two home non-conference. That's always the benchmark. Uh, you know, you're going to see it in 2024. So, you know, 23, they got four, four and five. They're going to have five home games in the conference in 2024. So you're going to have seven home games. So you're going to go between six and seven. Six is, is the bottom, though. You'll, you'll never see UCF below six home games. That's always where you aim for. So the safest bet is to always have, you know, two out-of-conference home games. And, you know, Terry Mahajer said early on, you know, in the short term, expect some matchups you're not going to really like. I mean, uh, New Hampshire is, is not a matchup that you really think of. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not. You know, say, you know, say what you want. Uh, you know, but Sam Houston, Sam Houston's actually not a pushover program. You know, they won the, the national championship in FCS uh, a couple years ago. They're, they're pretty good. Uh, that, that's actually a game I'm excited for because if they stay that trajectory, they'll, they'll be a challenging school, you know, at a lower level. And of course, you expect UCF to rise up, but I'm, it's still not going to be a pushover. You know, UCF once upon a time was that scrappy school too. So you want, you want a good quality opponent because you're, you know, you're playing for not only just, you know, uh, winning your conference, but you know, you're in a power conference. You should be looking for winning beyond just your conference, try to get into more. So you need good quality opponents for that. Uh, but you know, I expect an FCS program to fill in that last slot for 2023. It may be in October. It may be somewhere in there. Cause you know, you already got the front end of the season covered that opening weekend against Kent state, which I'm thrilled about. That's my mother's alma mater. So I want to see UCF run them over. And going forward, you're, you're going to see more, more of that two and one, you know, two homes, one away. Obviously, you've got in 27th, you got uh, at North Carolina, you got home versus Maryland in 28. You got Florida home in 30 and at Florida in 2033. I know there was a lot of fans wondering if these schedule changes will affect Florida in 2024. I do not think so. Their conference is, is as of right now, you know, the conference doesn't change membership until 2025. So nothing should change, you know, for 2024 for Florida, that game should stay on the schedule. We'll see what 2030 and 2033 brings, which at that point becomes a home and home. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think this is the form and this is why the South Florida doesn't make sense. Right. Like, well, there's no room uh, yeah. when you think about it. Yeah. Uh, USF's you know, schedule is full until 2028. So it's, you know, 26, which UCF currently is fully open, and 27, which already has one slot, uh, USF's not available. So it's not like, you know, they can 
Right, you but know. you don't have as much flexibility. And if you're UCF, if you're going to schedule a home and home, it's got to be something worthwhile. You know, marquee well, game to some extent. And you know, you're going to get fans, especially on years where the Big Twelve, where they have to play five road games in the Big Twelve. Especially, I'm just saying. Well, and that's where the value of playing in-state opponent comes into play, especially those years, because right. you know, you look at any of the in-state schools, and you know, Tallahassee being the furthest one away, they're all travelable. You know. You go, you know, you look at Boca Raton this, you know, this coming year, it's three hours from, from Orlando. So, you know, you can make that drive. Uh, you know, Miami's a little, you know, just a, a little bit further down the road, you know, to get to Miami gardens where, where they play, uh, you know, you look at, you know, Tampa, which they're, you know, they're going to close the season, in, you know, in, you know, is, is an hour and change. You just have to drive through the horrible highways in Tampa. You know, it's thank goodness we don't have to do that anymore. Holy well, I, I always joked, and it works for both Tampa and Orlando. It takes an hour in Orlando to get to Orlando. True, <laughs> oh but it God, works in Tampa true. too. If you're driving 275 downtown, yeah, man, that place no, I've heard about it. Box. Yeah, yeah, I heard about that. All right, uh, one last thing before we let you go. We are now less than 50 days away from the start of the UCF football season, we are less than 365 days away from UCF being in the big 12. Uh, and, if, and I don't want to dive into it too much, but give me your thoughts on the state of UCF football. Where do you think they are at? Are you feeling good about where they're at going into their final year in the American and more specifically into the future of the big 12? Or is there any concerns you have uh, with the football program that needs to be addressed as they get into the big 12? What's your thoughts on that? Well, I don't have any natural concerns. I mean, everything's kind of, kind of flowing in an incremental you know, here, then here, then here. I mean, it's not going to all magically come together overnight. UCF is still very much a transfer portal laden. Uh, I think that's going to change. They're, they're going to get more and more players through through high school recruiting and once they, they make the step up. But I mean, the benefit of transfers now versus transfers a few years ago is with the portal, you get that free transfer. They don't have to sit out a year. And it could be a freshman that moves, you know, that went to one school, didn't like it, decided to come to another. You know, we saw that with Jaden Francois. Never played at Nebraska. You know, transferred to UCF before the season ever started. Now, Nebraska was petty and didn't let him out of his scholarship, so he still he couldn't play that year. But still, I mean, you can you still will see freshmen come over here. Jordan Johnson, you know, the, the wide receiver, he, you know, moved as after uh, a freshman year. To, to UCF. So you're going to still see some of that. It's going to plug holes. It's going to keep UCF competitive because they know the players know where UCF status is. And while 2022, okay, you got one more year in the American that recruiting's done. Now everything's for 2023 and beyond. So anything you see going forward is going to be towards that. Now looking forward to this season, this is a bet. While you don't have a team as strong as Cincinnati in the conference this year, you know, compared to last year, top to bottom, you look at the top half of this conference, it is a stronger conference than it was last year. So you're going you know, on an average level, you know, you look at the top six teams, top five to six teams, they're, they're going to be overall better on average than the conference was last year where you were very top heavy with Cincinnati. And it just kind of went you know, Cincinnati way up here. And then everyone else down here. Uh, so, so UCF is going to be challenged. And I think that's very important, you know, in your swan song season, 
you don't want a cakewalk you because you're going to up the ante in 2023 you know, everything has a progression and you want these players especially ones that are going to play next year to have that progression it's part of the development process they need that you know you need them to be pushed you know UCF is, is touting this as their strongest home, uh, you know, home out of conference schedule. And I kind of roll my eyes a little bit at that because Georgia Tech's not good. You're not fired Louisville, up for Jeff Collins yeah, and Louisville you know, is state of fair. Atlanta. So <laughs> on paper, when you, when you, when you look at it from, Oh, we have two power five teams right. coming into play. Take that with a grain of salt. I I'm actually looking more forward to the conference schedule. You have Cincinnati, you have, you know, you know, SMU, you have Memphis, and you know, all the teams UCF lost to in you know, last year in conference, they have a chance for revenge. They have a chance, you know, with, with SMU and Cincinnati, they have a chance for revenge at home. I mean, they're you know, you they're you don't have to tell these guys, hey, you know, look what they did. Was like, they know anyone who's been there, they know. UCF in both games uh, was complete outclassed right. and with the players that have come in and the chance to gel even more and, and build up depth uh, they're they're going to be out for blood it's going to be revenge it's kind of like what the Louisville game last year was for the Cardinals that was a revenge game yeah I mean Malik Cunningham will be back by the way so I think you look ahead not to look ahead but that second home game we're going to learn a lot about the UCF linebackers in that game because remember they had a rough rough performance at Louisville. Well, it's a whole new squad now. If, outside right. of, of Jeremiah Jean-Baptiste, for the most part, I mean, right. uh, you've got a lot of transfers that, that came in. Obviously, the other starters, you know, uh, Bryson Armstrong, he graduated, and I believe he's working for the football staff now. And, you know, Tatum Bethune transferred. So, I mean, you have a whole new team, really, in the linebacking core for the most part right. that'll, you know, have to right. handle. Which we don't know. I think it's the biggest question non-quarterback question that's going to be the popular question is the quarterback position but i think the linebacking position is this going to be a very significant question that uh, probably most talked about after the quarterback position i will say this real quick and we got to go um it's important to try to compete for the conference title this year and get to new year's six but it's also important to finalize who you have that's ready to go for next year in certain positions as well And, and i'm curious especially in the line of scrimmage how they'll look because when you get to the Big 12, that's going to be a bigger challenge. So you want to be sure you're ready for that. Otherwise, or at least know what holds you have that you may need to address in the transfer portal when you go oh, to the Big 12. absolutely. And you can already you already know the offensive line is going to be yep. a problem. Yep. Uh, very senior laden. Uh, so you have you have a lot of age there. So you're going to have to be looking at that second unit with a because you know you rotate guys out from time to time. You got to look at that second unit of players and see where you, you, you can patch or, or where you can develop. The UCF's patch, they brought in a couple of transfers uh, to that are going to probably end up starting. So that tells you something about the offensive line if you have to bring in players to start. We have footballs just around the corner. Oh, it's getting close. I know Drew's got the date circled. He's got the UCF scheduled circled. He's got Baker Mayfield against Cleveland Browns season opener circled. So does Baker. <laughs> Uh, Drew, tell the audience where they can find you and argue with you. Uh, Yeah. If you haven't blocked me already, uh, you can find me on Twitter at StatBoyDrew. And, of course, you can always find my my work on Black and Gold Banneret. Yeah, on on this lovely podcast. And the podcast, you'll be on here frequently. And, of course, he's been writing on the bannies. 
uh, on that as well on blackandgoldbanneret.com. Drew, thank you for taking the time, sir. Absolutely. Coming up next, Bryson Turner will join me. We'll talk some news and notes. A UCF coach going to Ohio State? Oh, wait. Uh, is Drew to blame for that? I might blame him on that segment. Uh, some UCF basketball scheduling news. And what are the state of the program for some of the other sports at UCF, plus some big ads in softball and baseball? That's all coming up when we return on this edition of the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Eric Lopez here with you. Jeff Sharon on vacation. Joining me now, he's been our co-executive producer of this show. And, of course, uh, part of our staff, Mr. Bryson Turner, joining us now here. And, Bryson, this is an important week uh, for UCF baseball coming up on starting Sunday. And the reason I say that is because the MLB draft will begin Sunday night. Uh, ESPN will televise it. There's a a ton of rounds to go. uh, It'll be about a two-, three-day event. And that is significant because this next week is going to really shape up how UCF baseball is going to look in 2023. So give us an idea what to look for here at the MLB draft, because we have not only uh, UCF players currently that could be drafted or could be in the mix, but obviously some recruits that could also be drafted that could impact, again, Greg Lovelady's roster. Yeah, Yes, indeed, Eric. So the top two people that are lo- looking like a pretty sure thing to be drafted are Connor Stain, starting pitcher and Alex Freeland shortstop looking at the draft list. Both of them are ranked uh, ranked at a point where I would say them being drafted looks like a good possibility. And um, so I would just keep an eye out for that. Alex Freeland's been tearing it up in the Cape Cod league. So I would say that he, the injury that he sustained late last season is dealt with. So I think we could definitely see him go. Other names that I'm recognizing from this year's team on the on the list that are people that are entered into the draft: Cameron Crane, pitcher; Kyle Kramer, another pitcher; John Montez, who's normally been a second baseman; Hunter Pattison, starting pitcher, but of course he he was out for the season uh, last season; uh, he got a bad injury. Um, Jeffrey Pena, Pablo Ruiz, William Saxton. And Riley Wash. Now, some of these players are already out of their collegiate eligibility anyway, which in the case of Wash and Saxton, but everybody else has certainly has a chance of being drafted. Um, I would say that of the names I mentioned that aren't staying in Freeland, I would probably keep an eye on Jeffrey Pena, considering he was the team's best bat and he has has some really good speed on him. I would argue he's too, by the way, their best all-around player on the roster. He quietly, I didn't realize this until I wrote, and it's going to come out eventually, uh, he's our nominee for what, he's one of the nominees for UCF Male Athlete of the Year for the Bannies, Bryce, and he put up a heck of a year very quietly, was a clutch bat, great glove. Uh, to me, I, I mean, and tell me if, I, if you agree, I think Freeland and Stain are going to get drafted pretty high, and they're pretty much gone. Uh, they're not going to come back. Pena is fascinating to me. I'm really curious where he ends up. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think it's it'll be very interesting because Lovelady said after last season's American Athletic Conference baseball tournament that Pena was one of the people he thought could get drafted, and then he didn't. So I will be very intrigued to see if perhaps this season he will get drafted. But if he doesn't, he is a redshirt junior, if I'm not mistaken. And so 
that means that he pro that um he still has another year of eligibility to use. And I mean, we definitely it definitely could help to have him in the outfield once again next next year. So we'll see how so, so we'll see how that goes. But I would definitely keep an eye out for Pena and Freeland. And then I and then other than that, I would say Pena is probably my next and my next best bet. And then and, and perhaps Hunter Patterson, because he certainly pitched very well. And uh, Tommy and I believe Tommy John surgery has not, you know, prevented uh, teams from drafting. Well, look uh, at last year, well. Colton Gordon, Colton Gordon got drafted still pretty high by the Astros, despite his uh, season ending injury last year at UCF. So I think Colton Gordon now Colton Gordon put up had a more of a, a bigger body of work. Uh, than Hunter, but remember Hunter was drafted super high uh, prior to committing to UCF as well. And to your point, I think uh, especially with such a big draft, teams may take a chance on an arm or not. So uh, that would not surprise me one bit. And I do think if Hunter were to get drafted, I don't think he would return because at that point it's like you got to get the money, uh, at least in his case, especially if you're an arm. Yeah. Oh yeah. With well, a long-term injury like he had. Uh, we'll, we'll see. I mean, the, really the big question is going to be, will uh, is, is going to be depending on his collegiate sample size, because so far there actually doesn't, he doesn't actually have a lot of, um, starting pitching experience in call in college 2020, the season got cut short 2021. He started the season in the starting rotation. Then he fell out of the starting rotation. Then he came back. And then this season got cut short due to injury. So I think the I think it will depend. I think really, if he doesn't get drafted, it's because teams haven't seen enough of him yet. So that's definitely something to keep an eye out on. So we'll see what happens, but the MLB draft will get going. It's a uh, it will be Sunday night. It'll be actually I we don't. Exp who do you think is the first player to get drafted? Do you think it's Stain or do you think it's uh, Freeland? What's a, give me a bold prediction here. Uh, I would go Stain. The talent I think is is there with him. I um based on draft uh, based on rankings, it's Stain. But I don't know. Maybe somebody's in need of a shortstop enough that they go Pena before Stain gets drafted. I'm not really sure. It just depends on what teams are look are looking for. It is a 20 round draft. First two rounds will be Sunday night. Rounds three through 10 will be Monday. And then they'll wrap up the draft on Tuesday, uh, rounds 11 to 20. Round one and two will be on ESPN and MLB Network on Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. They're going to stream it on MLB.com. And uh, we wish the best for the UCF guys. And we'll see uh, how that kind of shakes out with the 2023 roster. That doesn't stop Greg Lovelady and the Knights, though, from adding to the roster. For the 2023 uh, season, uh, there, Mr. Tur Bryson Turner, including a couple of key additions uh, that might be some familiar with if you're a fan of college baseball in the state of Florida. Yes. So there are have been two transfers that have announced that they are coming to the to the baseball program. Actually, three. The one announced last night. There is Zach Chappelle, a left-handed pitcher from North Florida. Dominic Stagliano, a Stetson right, a Stetson right-handed pitcher that's going to be going to be coming. And then announcing last night on his Instagram, 
Corey Robinson. He is a former Florida, he former Florida Gator. He announced last night on his Instagram that he is going to be transferring to UCF. He is an outfielder. So, all right. As of right now, the one I am most intrigued about is Dominic Stagli is Dominic Stagliano because his appearances uh, appearances last season at Stetson he went 53.1 innings at get 3.21 ERA and 55 strikeouts he was he started three times so he can start but he's normally been a reliever so we'll so I think regardless of which role he plays I think that as having after having a season like that that is a fairly solid transfer to bring into a team that could potentially lose one, if not two starting pitchers is starting pitchers. And then of course you, the third spot kind of left up in the limbo after David Litchfield fell out of the rotation. So basically love lady really does need to build that rotation back up again, up again, because even if, but because even if Patterson isn't drafted, it, we're, it's likely we're probably not going to see him next year or uh, next year uh, potentially. So you basically have to build the rotation back up. We have Ben Vespi, you have Cameron Crane, but who knows what the, what they're going to be like in the fall. So bringing in somebody like Stagliano, I think is a really is a really good move, good move there. As far as Robinson goes, the outfield I think is is pretty packed for right now. Um, Robinson is only only spent his true freshman season with Florida, so he's a sophomore coming into this coming year and. Even if Jeffrey Pena does get drafted, there's still the matter of John Rice Plumley there and Jason Ambos. So he's definitely going to have to earn his keep if he wants to get some playing time. If but that but again, that's even if Pena gets drafted. So I think I think this is going to be something that we'll just have to wait and see what happens. Well, but again, it's additions. You're adding depth and you're adding people that could potentially help you going to the Big Twelve again. UCF less than 365 days away from going to the Big 12, Bryson, and the Big 12 in baseball is strong. It's even stronger than the American uh, in that's from that standpoint. So especially, we got to think, keep in mind that there's a very good high probability each day that passes without a movement. There's a very good chance that when UCF's in the Big 12 next year, that Oklahoma and Texas will still be in the Big 12, at least for a year. And we just saw both of those programs get to Omaha in the College World Series. And I think depth and pitching talent will be a key for UCF, not just in this next year in their final year in the American, can they stay healthy, but also to compete in the Big 12. They're coming off a 35-win season, finished second in the American regular season title. Didn't make the NCAAs, had some losses, particular in non-conference that I think knocked them out of consideration for the NCAA. And the competition will get stronger next year. But I do think that the, the recruiting, because remember, people forget in baseball and in softball, it takes a couple years before that coach starts bringing in his, his or hers players to the program from a recruiting standpoint. We're starting to see that from Greg uh, with baseball. So... Health, which we've discussed way too much at length on this show, so I don't want to get into that again. But health and depth for baseball is going to be a key next year in the American, and then uh, and then moving forward to the Big Twelve, Bryson. Oh yes, uh, depth, the pitching, and um, well, depth. Now, uh, fielding depth, I think, has actually been very good. I think that on the field and with the bats, the depth, the the depth has been actually quite good, especially when you have somebody like Andrew Sundin who broke out the way that he did. 
Uh, my worry is going to be with the pitching because that has been the team, what the, this team's Achilles heel the past two seasons. They did not have enough starting pitching depth to put a, to put forth a good performance in the AAC championship game, which is what led to them losing to USF. And now this season and this season with the pitching injuries that have been where they are, you, d- you, d- you don't necessarily have your best pitching talent going forward into the into the tournament which means it was pretty much a toss-up which is why they needed to go to extra innings in the first semifinal game against Houston and then ultimately lost to the Cougars in the set in the second game so pitching seems to be this team's Achilles heel pitching health and pit and pitching depth I sure I really hope that they can improve on that going into next season because this is something that's kind of plagued them a little bit now for a couple of seasons now so I so I think this is definitely something that Coach Lovelady needs to address. And then I think that as, as long as the bats hold up, which they have been so far, then this team will be in a very good spot because the bats have been carrying them for for so long that it's it's unfortunate that they that they don't deserve they they deserve better fortunes than what they've been getting, considering the seasons that Pena and Freeland and Sundean had, for instance. With all that being said, I actually feel good about baseball going to the Big 12. Like, I feel, you know, we had Drew on last segment. I feel good about football going to the Big 12, competing. I actually feel good about baseball because, Bryson, baseball from the American to the Big 12 is not as big of a jump compared to other sports. Like, the American, prior to this year, this year I know was kind of a a unique year for them. They were not as strong as past years. But they're usually a top five league in college baseball. Big 12 is a top three league. It's not as huge. So the competition's there. Even this year, this past year, the American, even though they were down, quote-unquote, East Carolina, who's been the top program in the league, they were a win away from the World Series. They were an eight national seed. So I think baseball is accustomed to the competition in league play. So I actually like, again, I like the talent, the rosters they put. It's the health is the biggest key. If Connor Stain and Hunter Patterson was healthy this year, this team would have probably uh, been an NCAA tournament team because they would have avoided some of the losses, bad losses they had in the non-conference there. Uh, If Colton Gordon was healthy last year, I think they would have been an NCAA tournament team. They've been knocking on the door. And I think in baseball, as we've seen in baseball, there is a ton of parity, although it's really, it's becoming a sport in the South. So as we do our state of the programs real quick, I do like the shape of baseball. Uh, but you mentioned what needs to be addressed there, and I think that's a good way to end the baseball portion of the segment there. Let's move over to softball. Lots of news on softball. Uh, comings and goings. Let's start um, <laughs> Let's start with – I don't even – where do you want me to start, Bryson? You want me to start with the comings or the goings? Uh, let's go ahead and start with the people that are coming in. Let's, take, let's, put, let's do some good news first before we have to deal with the bad yeah. news. All right, so we got three addition and and uh, three additions and and two of them, uh, one of them we already talked about in a previous podcast, but I'll throw her in there. And Sarah Willis, uh, two way player from Washington, transferred to UCF. That's official. Two other players uh, that have uh, been added. You have Jasmine Williams coming from Oregon, who's a uh, a former All Conference performer at Oregon infielder. Uh, Great glove was part of the U.S. 2019 team that won gold that Coach Bear was part of the staff as an assistant. So she comes over there, and then UCF picks up a big bat last Friday, Bryson, from Minnesota. 
Yes, indeed. They br- managed to bring in Chloe Evans, which which is a, a quite the adi- quite the addition for them. She, of course, was part of that Minnesota team that defeated the the Knights in the aftermath of that uh, of Shannon Doherty's walk off home run of the pre and opening night against Georgia. She in that game, Evans went one a uh, one for two and yep. got on with a walk. So, um, but she ended up having a, a, a real solid, a, a real solid season with Minnesota. And considering that she is coming now I, in the aftermath of Denali Shotpocker leaving, what position did she play on the, in that game against UCF right field? Yep. So I, so I think that more than likely this is, this is the case of ball Malone, like reloading because at Absolutely. least, at least offensively, because um, offensively, I think is similar to similar to baseball offense is where this team has thrived last year. And so ball Malone wants to make coach ball Malone wants to make sure that this team is firing on all cylinders again on offense, especially just in case they need it in case the pitching staff doesn't exactly go the way that they wanted to now that with that said we did we didn't expect came Woodall to do what she did last year and look what happened with that so um I think that this is a very good sign in terms of the offense I think now is really the question of instead of having one uh came Woodall going in now we have the potential of two came Woodalls although we uh, and, uh, and then of course there's also Caitlin Felton as well so so I think it'll be interesting to to see how that turns out but I think it's similar to baseball where the offense is looking is looking really good since a lot of people are going to be coming back and and they're reloading but the pitching still has a bit of unknowns to them and that's something we're going to have to wait and see how if coach ball can maybe work or transfer magic sounds familiar um quick ad Chloe Evans I'll give you this stat she was an all big 10 performer second team in the big 10 Hit 11 home runs last year, drove in 46 runs. The 11 home runs from, as you mentioned, she played right field. You know how many home runs UCF starting outfielders, not named Jada Cody, have hit the last two seasons combined? How many? Seven. Oh, yeah, that's some power right there. Chloe hit 11 in one year. Uh, So to your point, I think she'll be at right field, the outfield there, big bat that really, I can't think in – it's been a long time since I can remember UCF having a power bat in the outfield. Jazz Williams is an infielder who knows Coach Ball Malone from the USA days. I expect she could be the Justine Molina replacement, particularly in second base. Could play shortstop as well. Coach Ball Malone likes versatility, so don't be surprised if you see, like, for example, uh, Michaela McCario, who also played second base in high school and travel ball, can play second as well. So look for some movement there. I, this might be the deepest infield UCF's had because we're not even talking about the 25th ranked recruiting class that's coming in for this upcoming season. Oh, yeah. So there, there's going to be a ton of talent there. I mean, um, what, what I'm really excited to see is w- what the aftermath is going to be, because with Gianna Mancha having now graduated, what does that mean for Jada Cody catching? Because right. she's basically been Gianna Mancha's personal right. catcher. So what happens now that she's gone? Does she go now play kind of third base m- much more often than she does? And then if that's if that's the case, what happens to Kennedy Searcy? Does she does she go to play another position? Well, but don't forget, don't forget, Jada played left field some too. So even if she if she doesn't catch, who's to say she may play left field a little bit? 
as well. If I mean, that's the thing. Coach Ball Malone believes in versatility. So there's going to be a lot of options versatility-wise. And I think offensively, they'll be fine. Pitching, as you mentioned, is going to be the question. Sarah Willis, I expect to be in the mix pitching-wise. She was a number seven recruit coming out of high school in travel ball. Uh, talented arm, can throw 70. I expect her to be in the mix in the rotation with a, again, I mentioned this top 25 class. They have a top recruited pitcher, a couple of them, coming in to the staff, including one that is the daughter of Les Miles, former UCF, uh, former LSU football coach and Oklahoma State football coach, by the way, um, on that. In fact, and uh, so, and then Caitlin Felton, you mentioned and so forth. So, uh, and I don't think they're done yet in the portal. We'll see uh, what happens there, but that's I mean, kind Evan, of. Evan certainly came real quick after Willis and Williams were officially right. announced. So I think that's the state with softball there. Uh you know, they're young. They're going to be young in the circle. I think that's what the big questions. But I think there's a ton of excitement overall with the softball program. But, of course, when you have success, Bryson, that means people want your people, correct? Especially coaching staffs. And um, a couple of news items. One that was first reported uh, reported by X-Raining Softball, the Justin McLeod. Uh, Whitney Jones apparently will be moving on to Ohio State to run the offense there. For the Buckeyes, Whitney, of course, one year here at UCF with the, if the reports are accurate, which I think they are. Uh, you know, this is what happens, Bryson. It, it, it doesn't matter what conference you're in. If you win a lot, people want your, you know, your people, right? And uh, Big Ten, uh, as we now know by now, you don't have to be a softball fan or anything. You now know that Big Ten schools have a lot of money. And so uh, we wish Whitney the best there. We'll see what Coach Bear does in the coaching staff from that standpoint. Um, but obviously she was a very good impact there, but that's part of life. And then Wednesday, North Georgia announces that Aaliyah White will join the staff to be the pitching coach at North Georgia. That's a D2 school. They are 3.6 miles away from Aaliyah's house and her family's house. So it's a bit of a homecoming. Uh, she wasn't going to come back. She was a grad coach at UCF. So she finished being a grad student, moved back home to Georgia and all of a sudden, North Georgia, Mike Davenport, who's one of the most successful Division II coaches, offered her the job, and now she's over at North Georgia. So you got Whitney Jones moving on to Ohio State. Aaliyah White, who you got to know, Bryson, now at North Georgia, uh, growing, uh, adding to the Coach Bear tree. Yes, indeed. I I think that as far as Whitney Jones goes, uh, it, I, it it's basically, as you said, when you're good – that, uh, then other people are going to want to have you on their team. And I think that going from an assistant at UCF to an assistant at Ohio State, it seems to me that Whitney Jones is really looking to be a head coach at some point in the near future. 100%. And I think that's a big motivation in this move. I'll give you this stat, Bryson. Jordan Clark, who is she's taking over for, was the Ohio State assistant, just got hired at Florida Atlantic. In fact, I just interviewed Jordan Clark. You could listen to that cheap pub on In the Circle podcast that I host. Uh, prior to Jordan Clark, Sharonda McDonald was the assistant there. She got hired to be the head coach at Campbell at the time. Now she's the new head coach at Michigan State. I probably would not be surprised if Ohio State used that to lure Whitney in, because you're 100% correct. Whitney Jones has been very open and public about the fact of her desire to be a head coach uh, and moving to Ohio State, in her opinion, believes that that could get her to that next step. 
Yeah. Uh, yes. So I think she wants to advance her or advance her career, and there is no fault for that. The fact that you went one season at UCF and this offense became what it was, who wouldn't want to have a coach like that? The question really now is what who is who is next? I imagine that this is uh, that it'll be someone that Coach Bear will have ties to, maybe. Uh, in some capacity. So I'm, I, I'm very, so I'm very interested to see who she picks because this is, of course, last year was a complete staff turnover, which means that this, now she has to make another hidden coach hire. And I believe if I remember right, she mentioned how, how nice it was to have someone like Whitney Jones kind of take over the offense while she can focus on the pitchers a little bit more. So I feel like that's something she wants to have again in the next hitting coach, right? Potentially, but I also think she's versatile. And if she believes that the best assistant out there is, let's say, a pitching coach, I don't think she'll hesitate to flip. Because remember, prior to last year, Coach Bear ran the offense and did very well. So, and I kind of equate UCF to like the New England Patriots, where at the end of the day, Coaches come and go, but it's Bill Belichick's staff. It's Bill Belichick's system. This is Coach Bear's system at UCF, and it's a matter of plugging. They're gonna, she's going to plug somebody in that believes in her philosophy. I agree with you. I think it'll be somebody that she has ties with, which that could be a big list. I'm not even going to speculate on that. But it's going to be somebody that fits the system because that's what UCF is, is successful. It's the system. Um in there and we'll see what happens um i think it'll take a couple of weeks few weeks but uh i'm i'm intrigued to see what happens in that direction from the higher uh there so those are the comings and goings for ucf i think you and i though agree you look at softball as the as far as the state of softball, ucf softball as they're again in a year they're going to be in the big 12 and what's fascinating here bryson Again, if Oklahoma and Texas are still in the Big 12 a year from now, which, again, each day that passes looks more and more likely, you could have a Big 12 next year that has Oklahoma, which is the dynasty program in college softball right now. They're going for a three-peat this year. Texas, those two played for the national title this year. UCF obviously had to run through Oklahoma, beat Texas. You have Oklahoma State in the league. That is that is a powerful conference that it will be easily the number three conference in college softball. And yet, I feel like UCF will hold its own in softball. This nucleus, especially offensively and even pitching, as young as it is this year, most of them will be ready to go for Big 12. And I think softball is in great good shape from a softball standpoint because they're used to playing a tough schedule out of conference. Coach Baird tested them. They had the 14th strongest non-conference schedule, which helped them host. So I think they will be able to adjust to the Big 12, but wow, you talk about a wow factor. Softball, Big 12 softball, Bryson's going to be loaded, just like baseball. I mean, get your seat. I mean, Big 12 baseball and softball is going to be pretty remarkable. I'm excited. Yeah, we are excited, indeed, excited about that. When we come back, speaking of excitement, the UCF women's soccer schedule is out for this year. We'll analyze that, plus some reports about UCF basketball schedule. Uh, out there and we'll address concerns with the basketball programs going to the big 12 how do we feel about soccers and volleyball in their future that's all coming up as we wrap up this edition of the black and gold banneret podcast
Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We wrap it up. Eric Lopez, Bryce, and Turner with you here. Jeff Sharon on vacation this week. Let's get into some uh, other sports. UCF basketball. Some scheduling news coming out recently. Uh, it's been now reported. UCF will be playing in the Orange Bowl Classic. We fingers crossed. They'll be playing Missouri out of the SEC, uh, Bryson. Of course, we all well documented the issues UCF's had with the Orange Bowl Classic, with cancellations, with Florida State the last couple of years, with COVID and stuff. Fingers crossed they'll be playing in Sunrise against Missouri. And then there's been a report on Twitter from Rocco Miller, who uh, covers college basketball, that UCF and Miami will be playing a home-and-home schedule start with this year Miami coming here and then UCF going to Miami next year of course UCF just played at Miami last year so and beat the Canes but right now what we know from the UCF schedule based on reports stuff that's already been out there come uh, confirmed and even what Johnny Dawkins said at the uh at the charge on tour event in the in the past this is shaping up to be a nice, fun, non-conference schedule when you consider that UCF now potentially will have Miami and Florida State at home. Florida State, remember, will come here, which will be significant with the return of Darren Green as a Seminole. That'll have plenty of storylines, but you've got Miami coming in. I believe UCF, I think Johnny may have mentioned this. You were at the Charge On Tour, but he mentioned they might have a home-and-home set up with Ole Miss uh as well or at least that's been reported uh that is the future i think they're gonna be probably on the road for that one we'll see but you got missouri there one thing johnny dawkins has done a phenomenal job that he doesn't get a credit for is scheduling i think and then remember we're not even mentioning the the fact ucf's gonna be playing in the bahamas in a tournament where they're gonna be playing oklahoma state johnny dawkins is able to schedule games that in my opinion nobody else in that position as ucf head coach can pull off because of his statue, his stature in the sport. Um, and to get FSU in Miami at home, if that's the case, again, the Miami thing has not been confirmed, but Florida State is. Um, that's a fun schedule, and I hope it's something that we'll see similar even when UCF goes to the Big 12, which we'll get into, will be a gauntlet. But as far as the non-conference here moving forward next year, I'm really fascinated by that. And I'm excited in that, I, you know, UCF's going to have low expectations. I saw John Rothstein in his American Conference rankings had UCF like 6th or 7th. I had 7th in his rankings. I actually am okay with that because one of the things that I think hurt last year's team, Bryson, is that the expectations were too high. Um, people kind of overrated, in my opinion, the roster. And I actually think the roster now, now it's, and I think it's, we might see the opposite where people are going to be so down on the roster that I think it could be underrated. But your thoughts on the schedule? Well, let's look at last season. We have Michigan, FSU, Auburn, Oklahoma, Miami. That is five, five really good conference, non-conference matchups that they, that John Dawkins scheduled. One of them, of course, didn't get played, but hopefully that'll be made up for next next season. And of course, now that he's gaining gaining with all of these new ones, I think it seems to me that there's a good even mix between these 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 Power Five non conference games, and then some of these um, and then some of these games against mid major programs to kind of help work out the kinks. 
So I think that Dawkins, like you said, Dawkins does a very good job kind of balancing it all out because he, because he, he aside from Oklahoma and Auburn being uh, Auburn being back to back, they he, he really spaces those games out really well. So, I, uh, as, for example, one uh, one thing I noticed is that had the FSU game been played, it would have been played a a little less than two weeks before the Michigan game, which then you let you let North have the North Alabama game, then work out the Kings, and then you have Michigan. Of course, they had a little bit of a a little bit of a longer rest between that, so so it ended up working out well considering how good that Michigan game was, but. Yeah, Dawkins does a really good job do, doing that, and I'm not surprised to see him continue to do that now. As far as the roster goes, underestimated, I would definitely agree with you on that front because, first of all, though, let's I think it's really more underestimated in terms of the depth because starting lineup – I think is actually relatively is looks relatively good because look at let's look at the returners again. We have Darius Johnson who is in the running for men's the men's freshman of the year. Banny, uh, he's certainly been getting a lot of attention and throughout his freshman year. And I think that now with a lot of the players from last year's team gone, I think Darius Johnson will will be will be able to really take over this team and really put forth the, that leader that he kind of showcased last year so I think now what having that he doesn't have any obstacles or any other competitive egos I, I, I at least there shouldn't be so I think we'll be able to see more of him and in his environment we also have Ty Freeman who did very well as in a six-man role and then of course we have CJ the CJ Walker which was a, he of course he was very well done as well in the forward spot um, I would, I would honestly say that it, it really, this is one of those things where I think it's going to be a, I guess, 50, 50 shot really, because the, the, the transfers that, that they have could certainly could work, but they also couldn't work because there's a lot of if like ifs and buts and all sorts of different things that have happened in each of these players' careers that could say, oh, they're due to be to do due to be better, or oh, they're not go, they're not, they're not really there yet. So I'll be interested to see how this season works out. But I think especially, of course, with the Hendricks brothers coming, it'll be interesting to see how they'll be able to do right off the bat. But I think it's going to, I think the biggest thing is that Darius Johnson has, I think, I think should have complete le- leadership control on this team from a player perspective. And I think that, that if anything, this team is going to play much more meshed together as a unit than they did last year. And I think that'll be, give them the chance in some games that they, that they lost, that they would have lost the year before. John Rostin. Here's what John Rostin wrote on his uh, site, college hoops today. He picked UCF seventh in the American. Here's his projected starting five Darius Johnson. As you mentioned, Brandon Suggs, who's the transfer from East Carolina, Ethel Horton, who's the transfer from Pitt, C.J. Walker, and then the youngster, Taylor Hendricks, part of the Hendricks brothers. That's the big recruits that Coach Dawkins has coming in with his brother Tyler Hendricks, also going to be on the team uh, as well. Uh, you've got, you know, the the transfer from Utah and Tion, uh, Michael Durr from Indiana, the transfer, big man who obviously used to be a former Bull. That's going to be weird. Uh, so, you know, you got Ty and Freeman coming back, you know, we'll see. There's a lot of intrigue there. We'll see what happens there. Seventh. If you're wondering, uh, John Rostin, real quick, 
has Houston the favorites. No surprise there. Houston, I think, actually is a Final Four really good. Uh, they're going to be really good this year. They might be a national title pick by a lot of people, myself included on that. Memphis, obviously, we know the roller coaster that they are. He's got them picked second. Cincinnati's picked third. Uh, Wes Miller there in his second year at Cincinnati, kind of their temple, is picked fourth. Tulane, fifth. South Florida, sixth. I don't know about that one. I would have UCF ahead of that one. But, uh, you know, this will be their final year in the American. And I think the big concern here, men's basketball, is what's coming. The Big 12, which has been the number one conference in college basketball, uh, RPI-wise. You look at that league. The last two national champions, Bryson, have come out from the Big 12, Kansas and Baylor. And those schools in the Big 12 invest a ton of money in basketball, both men and women. And my concern with the men and the women here at UCF is the support financially. I mean, we're trying to just get financial support for football in general, and that's not been easy. How are you going to do that for basketball? That's going to be the biggest challenge. That's my biggest concern is how are they going to compete because the basketball is in a gauntlet. And I'm going to say this. I think Johnny Dawkins is the right guy for this job because he's been in the Power Five. He knows what he's about to get himself into. And as I mentioned earlier, he has the respect of college basketball. Everybody, coaches, media. I just think he's the right guy for this job right now. But it's going to be a struggle to me. The two sports that are going to struggle the most when they go to the Big 12 is the both basketball programs because they are, especially the men, they are entering to an incredible, I cannot underestimate the strength of the Big 12 in basketball. It is incredible. Well, I will say that uh, that I think that, one, budget isn't, everything because St. Pete if St. Peter's proves us every anything because yeah, if, you well, have, let me if, you have, yeah. if you have the right team Eric I think if you have the right team the budget certainly is a bit less of an issue than you think it can Here, be here's the problem with that uh because you and Jeff kind of think the same way there St. Peter's plays in the had one good week in the MAC with two A's won the conference tournament and made a run to the tournament that's a crapshoot they're not in the Big 12 playing on a nightly basis home and home against Kansas, Oklahoma, and Texas, who will probably be in the league next year. Oklahoma State, Baylor, like, hello, that is a gauntlet. And I do think when it comes to playing in that league, finances, support, resources will matter Whereas if you're in a smaller league, it's a lot easier. I mean, quite frankly, it's easier to get to the tournament. By the way, I don't think the smaller leagues are going to be in the tournament much longer uh, with all the uh, realignment. But, yes, from a a one-game scenario, you're right. Finances don't matter. But in the long haul, it does. All right. Well, and my other thing is that I do think that – that coach Jock Dawkins is currently right now, I think actually has a very solid core built up and getting ready for the big 12 in Darius Johnson and the Hendricks brothers. I think both the, the three of the three of those players with the potential of Jalen young, a Juco transfer, if he develops well, I think could, could make for a very good core. And I think that is going to be very, I think seeing them perform, seeing this, core the thing like those transfer these all, a lot of these transfers i think are mostly stop gaps 
for when he gets to the Big 12, because when you really look at it, there's the potential that there could be a big influx of new recruits when you go into the Big 12, whether it's with transfers or with incoming freshmen. So I think more than likely this season, you really want to keep an eye out on those younger players that have a couple more years of eligibility to them and, and see, are they going to be a good core for when the team goes to the big 12 Darius Johnson has certainly proved himself already. We just got to, I think we just have to see if he's kind of, if he just maintains on the right track. I think this year will be a lot. will be uh, the Hendricks brothers will certainly be people to watch for. I agree hundred percent. I've said that for UCF and basketball, their key to the success to, to be, to build the roster and be, you know, make a push for the NCAA tournament every three, you know, two to four years. You're not going to be an, a, a, an annual NCAA tournament team. The issue now is the transfer portal. Look at for look. Think about this roster if Darren Green stays here instead of being going to Florida State, right? Like think about a couple pieces you lose because of the portal. Harder to keep a group together in college basketball today, which is not you know it's you know it's a college basketball fan. It's tough because I think it hurts the product. But um, you're right. That's the key to UCF success. You're not going to compete with the Baylors and the Kansases of the world when it comes to getting blue chippers on a year-to-year basis. But what you can do and can be successful is build a, a nucleus that can grow together and be a postseason team like we saw with BJ, Taco, and company. You add some pieces to that. The problem, I think, in the last year, I don't think the chemistry was great, and I think uh, as a result, you just did, it just didn't fit. But I agree with you. I'm excited to see the young talent, and that's a big storyline into this season. And you're right, that's going to be the key. The good news about being in the Big 12, I've been negative about their chance in the Big 12. The good news about the Big 12, you can finish 7th in the Big 12 and make the NCAA tournament. You cannot finish 7th in the American and make the NCAA or the NIT. So you do have more wiggle room in basketball on the men's side as far as even if you don't do great in the league. If you finish seventh you can make the tournament or make an nit team which i think should be the goal for this basketball program uh, moving forward uh women's you there was an, a hire by cynthia messer that caught your eye to her staff real quick on that yes she recently she hired uh she completed her coaching staff with her final assistant coach and also she's listed as the recruiting coordinator cynthia messer managed to lure michelle edwards away from rutgers after she's been with that program for 19 seasons, Eric. So I'm very interested to see what what lured her here because 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 Michelle Edwards has basically served a variety of coach of, of roles within that Rutgers program within that Rutgers program for a long time now, and so now she's going to be coming here to UCF as an assistant. And I'm and looking back at her college days, she actually had quite the collegiate career at Iowa, where she was the first women's basketball player at Iowa to have her number retired in 19, I believe it was 1990. So yeah, 1990. And no number, Iowa number had been retired since until 2020. Just to show you how good of a player Michelle Edwards was back in her day. So uh, I will say like now that we have a, a, a fuller picture 
of what her staff of what her staff looks like it is a very I think very diverse and motley crew that we have here taking over this women's basketball program you have coach Messer who has experience in the big tw- in the in the big 12 so she knows what's coming you have Tennille Adams who of course played played with Messer back in their days and so they have that they have their that their dynamic together you have Greg Brown making his return who of course knows the area and now you have Michelle Edwards, who uh, Michelle Edwards, who was a great women's basketball player in her day, and she's do and she's listed as the recruiting coordinator. So she's like, probably going to be re- the one on the recruiting trail. So I think this is a very a very good crew, a good staff that she's made up. They have a very diverse skill set, and I think that's going to be very important. Um, I think really the question is the question looking forward is going to be how do these new players gel together because we because really we're basically having a a full reset starting over you're starting over here here's the thing you're starting over this is all a wild card it's the unknown we don't know much about the staff we don't know much of the players uh this reminds me a lot of the florida marlins you know i'm a marlins fan 1997 the marlins won the world series then they got rid of everybody. They had a fire sale. Wayne Huizinga, the owner, got rid of everybody because of finances, traded him away. The roster the following year was unrecognizable. Jim Leland came back because he wanted an a paycheck, eventually got replaced by John Bowles. And the, and the fans, you know, got turned off by all that. And I think when you look at this situation, and we're seeing this, Bryson, you know, we've had a lot of Banny Awards uh already out there on our site we encourage you to check out black and and thank you to everybody that have out been as read and has posted and has voted and has sent feedback we really appreciate that we always appreciate your feedback we're on pace for maybe a record-breaking month of july on the banneret unbelievable turnout and- oh yes i'm i'm very happy with wh- how the voting but don't and we still got more to come out oh. by the way still got more. oh yes we still have a few uh a few more categories that we need to get out so please like check back on the black and for more articles that pop up and vote because if if anything your your votes do have a voice because while each because the fans count as one vote amongst one vote from each of us staffers and if there's a tiebreaker then the fan vote winner gets the gets the award they are the tiebreakers so that's that's how important it is that you vote well, and your voice can influence too like it's influenced some of my votes already i can tell you that uh, up front uh, behind the scenes bryson does this you, the fan vote has influenced me because i do want i do listen and i think uh, as far as feedback uh, and that's one of the reasons I enjoy the banner, uh, the, the Banny Awards. I want to see the feedback and I want to hear what are the fans thinking. And one of the things, Bryson, that we have noticed, women's basketball has got a lot of work to do. There is definitely a lot of apathy. I think there's a lot of questions. I think for better, or for worse, obviously, with everybody moving on to Athens, basically. Most uh, of them, you're I st- mean. Heck, we don't even. Uh, heck, I mean, I I just looked at the hey, roster. Kyle just, Nash is not on this episode. He could be at Athens for all we know. Yeah, I looked at the roster right now. I know that there's still question marks on Destiny Thomas right now. So, uh, but regardless of what happens with her, right. like this is pretty much a, a pretty much a complete and total reset. But yep. with that said, I do think that this coaching staff 
with the pedigree that they have and the diversity and experience that they have, I am willing to see what they what they have in store. Oh, no doubt. They deserve to get the look. But I'm just saying, they're going to have to try to earn the trust of the fan base that maybe feels slighted for whatever the reason. They feel disinterested, slighted, whatever you want to say. Uh, I think that is a question because uh, that happened with Marlin fans. I can tell you that from experience. And that's going to be a challenge going to the Big 12, which is a way much stronger league than the American and women's basketball as well. The good news for Cynthia Messer, in a way, if you're going to start over, maybe this is the time to start over before you go into the league instead of starting over while you're in the Big 12. That's the good sign there. All right, let's well, move on. because They only have one season to do that, though. But... No, but that, in basketball, that's okay. That could, you know what I mean, with transfer portal and everything, you know, we'll see. So to be determined on that. Uh, but there's definitely questions. Let's move to uh, women's soccer because news came out on late Wednesday, Bryson. We were waiting for this, and now we have the women's schedule, ske- uh, soccer schedule. So we now have men's soccer, volleyball, and women's soccer schedule along with football. So we know the fall sports schedules. And what jumps out to me, and I know you're going to read it real quick, women's soccer by far of all the sports in the fall has the strongest schedule. It is incredible, the non-conference schedule that they have built. It will begin August 18th, the first UCF sporting event of the 2022-2023 season that will count towards results. I'm not counting exhibitions. will be women's soccer hosting Florida, and it goes from there, doesn't it, Bryce? Yes, indeed. So we have, so they travel out to Baton Rouge to play LSU on August 21st. Then they That's an NCAA tournament team, by the way. LSU beat UCF last year. So I'll just go ahead, continue. Then they travel out to Orem, Utah to play Utah Valley, which is actually right next door to Provo, where BYU plays which I perhaps a little bit of a preview for when they jump, when they go to the big 12 a little bit, cause they have to go to that area. Then they come home on August 28th to play Florida Gulf coast. Then they head up to Jacksonville to play North Florida on September 1st. Then uh, they come home to play Ole Miss on September 4th. NCAA tournament team that UCF beat by the way, probably was their best that win on the road at Ole Miss last year and the win against Penn State at home, probably their two best wins of the year last year. Yeah, indeed. Then they have a week off before they head up to Chapel Hill to play North Carolina. And after what happened happened in 2021 with that game, I am chomping at the bit to see these two teams go at it. North Carolina women's soccer speaks for itself. Anson Dorrance and company over there, that speaks for itself. Then they open up conference play on September 15th, where they travel to Memphis. And, th- and then they travel to Austin to take on Texas on September 18th. Ooh. UCF opened the season last year, beating Texas, crushing Texas. Texas rebounded, made the tournament. That could be a future Big 12 game a year from now, Bryson. Less than 365 days away from UCF going to the Big 12. This could be a future Big 12 game. Uh, this game this year will be in Austin, will likely be televised on the Longhorn Network, but Texas is good. Uh, yes, and yes. And so, and then, of course, they finish out conference, they finish out the year with conference play with Cincy on September 29th at home, going to Philadelphia to play Temple on October 8th, coming home to play SMU on October 9th, 
then going to Tulsa to play the Golden Hurricane on October 16th. October 20th, they come home to play ECU. Three days later, October 23rd, they play Houston, and they conclude the season with USF on October 27th in Tampa. I, I think this is another, uh, not to mention, they they have a, a exhibition games against FAU and Miami, which is a nice yeah, way yeah. to prepare yourself, which is a nice way to prepare yourself for that Florida game, I would say. So I think so I think this is a very good schedule that Coach Zahadak has put together here. Really, I think with this team going to kind of the state of the program is can this offense in, and uh, fielding defense improve? Because Caroline Delisle was absolutely peppered with shots last season, and she still managed to be, to be the goalkeeper of the year in the American Athletic Conference just because she was a big reason why the team stayed in, it, in as many games as they did. So the, I think Coach Zahedi really needs to look at that not only with the defenders, but defenders, but also a little bit with the forwards. It's like, hey, we need to give our, give Caroline Delisle some breathing room here because it right. can't get back to what her. they were a few years back when they were making the tournament. They were a strong defensive team where your goalkeeper wasn't getting a ton of action. To your point, help Caroline around there, and you and the way you do that is offensively put pressure on the other team instead of you know and put some goals on the board which this team has struggled uh the last couple of years bryson and i think when you look at the fall this year the three big questions i think for uh, fall sports one which is the obvious in football the quarterback situation right so let's put football aside that's number one you look at it can women's soccer get back to the tournament? Isn't it crazy, Bryson? We just had maybe the greatest women's sports year in UCF athletics history, right? And the only two women's sports that did not make postseason, did not make the tournament, rowing, women's soccer. Women's soccer, historically, has as much tradition as any women's sport in UCF to not make the tournament. They were right there. They could have made it didn't kind of fade it at the end with the goal, you know, the lack of scoring kind of caught up with them at the end. And they were one of the first four or five out of the tournament. To me, one of the big questions is, can this program get back to the tournament? They haven't been to the tournament since 2017. I think that will be there. You know, people use pressure in a negative tone. I think there's pressure in the program. They always put pressure, but they want to make the tournament. And I think it's important if they can get to the tournament before going to the Big 12, which again will be a stronger league. I think they can adapt to it, but you get they just need this momentum to be more on the positive side. It feels like the soccer program, kind of like baseball, Bryson, it seems like something has gone wrong, whether it be an injury or whatever over the last few years. And we'll see if this is the year for soccer, but I, that's the, one of the big storylines in the fall is can soccer get back to the tournament? We'll see. Yes, indeed. We'll probably, of course, we'll probably ha get the chance to talk with Coach Zahedak. We will certainly try to do that at some point, either before the season starts or early on in the year, and we'll be able to ask her about all that. Yeah. And but I mean, but the good, exciting the, schedule though. Great schedule. Good, yes. The good and the good news is is that they have an amazing goaltender that would have been nominated for Female Athlete of the Year had this year not been so stacked with correct. female athletes um, so having correct. her back is going to be a major boon the hope is is that it's not all on her no. so hopefully they get balanced offense more attacking again they weren't that far off but you know like the expectations are high in women's soccer historically so we'll see how that goes couple other sports before we go 
men's soccer, because you've been on top of this story uh, for a while. Men's soccer, as now we know, will be playing their final year in the American. But then after that, they're scheduled to be joining the Sun Belt. What's your thoughts on the state of men's soccer at UCF? Uh, they've been a couple Sweet 16 years under Scott Calabrese. This is their final year in the American, then they'll go to the Sun Belt. Your thoughts on the state of men's soccer? I think that women's uh, men's soccer actually has the opposite problem of women's soccer, and it's that their offense is one of the best in the in the nation. Seriously, that's one of the reasons I nominated Paul Souders for men's uh, like put uh, push for Paul Souders to be nominated for men's assistant coach of the year because the offense that this team has done is absolutely insane with Luca Dorado, Gino Vivi, absolutely killing it. And both of them and both of them look to be back. look to be back next year Gino Vivi was a junior last year so it's senior year so this is a really good time to have that because that one-two punch of Dorado and Vivi are getting on so you really want to be able to use them while you have them the problem is in the goalkeeping because you because UCF used three different goalkeepers last year last year and so the question now is which one is going to take over and start the whole year because the year before they had Yannick Ertl and Yannick Gertle. So the the question is, is who is going to take that starting job and who, who is the right one to do it? So if they, as I think if they if they solve their issues there at goalie, then I think for the most part, they should be they should be so good going into next going into next season. As far as the Sun Belt goes, I'm very excited about the teams that are that are there. Um, I think that that'll certainly be a very powerful men's soccer conference. And so I think that I don't have, I don't think we need to worry about that. Um, what we, but that's not to say though, that we have to rest our laurels here with the American because of, we have an influx of new teams coming into the American, which means a different, which means a different schedule and all, and some new conference opponents in UAB, FIU, FAU, and Charlotte. So it'd be very so it'll be very interesting to see where to, to see how this with the new with a new schedule and how that goes. But I think that the biggest thing that we need to watch for men's soccer is going to be that defense and goal and goalkeeper spots because that's where it where they were snake bit last year. And so they got to make sure that they let they can't just force Dorado and Vivi to just be scoring every which way. Well, and especially you mentioned the schedule change this year in the America. They play everybody once before it was they had they played teams twice. Now you got to play one because it's a bigger league, and you're going to see the same thing in the Sun Belt, which I know you and Jeff believes this will be the strongest league in men's soccer. Who knows? Uh, there's still some stories still to uh, unpack on the Sun Belt, but that's the storylines in men's soccer in the state of them. And then we'll late we'll wrap up with volleyball because that's going to be to me, uh, Bryce. And I mentioned three big storylines in the fall: football. Who's going to be the quarterback? Women's soccer, can they get back to the tournament? And then volleyball, going for a fifth straight American Conference title, trying to end the uh, dynasty run there before going to the Big 12. I think they'll be very competitive in the Big 12. Uh, But this is the last year of McKenna Melville and the Knights and Amber Olsen. they, They were a handful of swings away last year from a Sweet 16. They've never been to the Sweet 16 in the Division I era. We just saw softball get to their first sweet 16 you and i know volleyball players saw that up close that's going to inspire them can they break through and get to the sweet 16 mckenna melville is is set up 
to break the school record in kills, among other categories she's in, in, on track to break. Could end up being on the Mount Rushmore of UCF volleyball. But I think the big question that fans have, can this team break through and get to that sweet 16 round in volleyball? And they try to go a fifth straight conference title this year and carry that momentum to the Big 12, I think is the question for volleyball this fall. It's going to be fascinating to see uh, with them. You pretty much nailed it right on the head. McKenna and Amber are two uh, amazing players for their position, and having one more year of them is certainly going to be paramount to this team's success. I think the big thing here is going to be the filling of the middle blocker spot. Losing Watson and Moravik, two of the best blockers in UCF history, is definitely going to be, I think, the biggest question that this team has. And the good news is, is that they still have Claudia Dillon, transfer out of Missouri, who, who had a, who had a very good season herself. And then she, and then you have Amari Williams, who's a, a grad student who's returning from injury and Abby Hansen, who's coming in from Oregon. So I think that the, the Dajna and his staff have done a solid job filling the holes, they, the holes they have with the, they, the biggest hole they have through the portal. And then of course they brought up Heidi Bondi. And of course they have the two liberos of Caitlin Grimes and Chloe Shear to compliment Amber and McKenna. So I think we'll have, a, we're in store for another great, another strong season from UCF volleyball. The problem is going to be is how far can they go? And I, th- and I, and this is the crunch, this is crunch time to really go, to go, to maybe make, try to go for that sweet 16 spot because you, right, because you got your last year of arguably the greatest player in program history. This is the last year. Indeed. You know, and can they put themselves in a position to host like softball did? Tougher to do in vo- it could be tough in volleyball. The American not as strong in volleyball. That's one thing volleyball is going to benefit. Stronger league in the Big 12, more room for error, and better opportunities to host than you do in the American, which has been at best a two-bid league, and they haven't been a two-bid league since Jordan Thompson graduated from Cincinnati and been a part of the U.S. national team. So, But uh, I know you and I are looking forward to seeing a lot of volleyball. I have a feeling both of us will be seeing a lot of volleyball together in person and see a legend in McKenna Melville uh, there. So that's the story for uh, the major sports at UCF. We'll get you set for the fall ball, uh, fall, uh, which, you know, again, first fall event, a regular season game, UCF women's soccer hosting Florida, August 18th. Volleyball will start a few weeks after that. Men's soccer, of course, football will get going. Final season in the American. And then, of course, we're less than 365 days until officially UCF's in the Big 12, and so we kind of wanted to give you an idea of where we think these sports programs stand under those marks. Uh, should be a lot of fun. So that'll do it here for Black Eagle Banner at Podcast. Thanks to Andrew Glukoff for joining us. Uh, joining us. Thanks for Bryson Turner, who had to be the executive producer. He edited the show, so he's fired up for that. Uh, make sure you check us out on BlackEagleBanneret.com. We, we still have Banny Awards that uh, nominees articles coming out we've had a bunch of great turnout as we mentioned earlier we will have the banny awards we hope either next week or the following week uh soon we'll have a podcast dedicated to the winners and me and bryson will have an after show bannies which will give you more details on our youtube channel black and gold banneret uh there make sure you subscribe there because you're gonna have more and more content especially as we get in closer to the football season there Follow us on all the social media devices. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast. Give us a a five-star rating uh, and and give us some thumbs up there on the YouTube channel uh, there. So don't forget to subscribe. 
Subscribe. It's always important. I really would appreciate it. That was Bryson Turner. You just heard. I'm Eric Lopez. We hope you've enjoyed this edition of the Black and Gold Barrett Podcast.